Well, as Jacob said, I am Josh Miller, and I'm the pastor for children and students at Hamilton Baptist Church. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. We have been praying for you. Jacob came a couple of, of years ago to our missions conference and uh, talked to our church about why another church in Percival, right? Why do we need more churches in this area? And so since that time, we've been praying for you. It's good to be with you, see faces that we've been praying for, and also it's a pleasure to be with you um, because I know that you hold God's word high. You revere his word, and so as one coming to bring you the word, um, that's an encouragement to me. It's also a challenge to spend my time in it, to understand it, and then present it to you in a clear way that God might do a work. And so with that in mind, what, let us pray. Father, we come to you now, and we ask that you would use your word to shape us, make it clear. Perhaps there are some here that maybe don't know you today, young ears, or even some adults that may be here that need to hear from you today. Would you use your word to shape each one of us, to mold us into the image of Christ we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us today as we hear your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we will be in Malachi chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles. We'll be in Malachi 2, 17 through 3, 6. So Malachi 2, 17. And as you're flipping there, um, I want us to think about injustice. That's something that's, that's in the news a lot today. It's especially on social media a lot today. And injustice is uh, all over the news, especially racial injustice. And as Christ followers, that should, in, injustice of any kind should anger us. Sin should anger us. Should be something that we don't want to see ever happening. And perhaps as parents, you know that anger, or you, you, you get angry faster at anything else than, than when your children experience injustice. Whether that's in their friends' relationships or at school, you feel angry when your kids are treated unjustly. Surely you know what it feels like. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today. In Malachi is the people of God in Judah are angry with him, right? We get angry at people-on-people injustice. They're angry with God, and they accuse him of being unjust. So the question is, is God unjust? And in your heart, you're probably even thinking, well, no, he's not. But when Judah's looking at their circumstances and, and everything they see around them is saying we're oppressed, we're being ruled um, by these people who are not for us. And even at this time, this is after the Babylonian captivity, They've, this group of about 50,000 people have come back to Jerusalem, which is a far cry of what they've been in, in the past, right? Even just think about the exodus from Egypt about a million plus. Many years later, they're down to about 50,000. 
and they're looking at their circumstances and allowing this oppression from a foreign rule to, to, to make them question God. And so they're interpreting God and who he is based on their circumstances. I think sometimes we might do the same thing. Do you feel unjustly treated when perhaps you have great difficulty getting pregnant or you have great difficulty in understanding the justice of God when somebody at work gets the promotion in a, a, a backhanded way or they lie and, and they schmooze people over to get that promotion and you feel passed over? Perhaps there are things in your life that make you question the justice of God yourself. This is exactly what's happening. Read with me in Malachi 2.17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So hearing their voices, they're not just saying, God, you can't see the evil that's going on and, and therefore you're not doing anything. It's even a more high-handed slap in the face. It's you see the evil, you delight in those who are doing evil, and you, you are okay with what they do. That's way more bold than just saying, God, you don't see what's going on. And so they're calling God out. Where are you, O God of justice? So Judah is unable to see their own corruption and their current circumstances and troubles. Or they're seeing that as God's unfairness and his unfaithfulness to them. And they, they deserve divine blessings. Or at least they thought they did. But they were receiving divine afflictions instead. And so ignoring their own sins... They've now gravitate, or they're aggravated by the sins of others, and they're complaining about this divine injustice, or what they perceive to be divine injustice. So as we look at this beginning part of chapter 3, I want us to see three things today. That first is that Jesus is coming. Second, that Jesus comes to purify. And the last thing I want us to see is that Jesus comes to judge. So would you read with me Malachi 3, verse 1 through verse 6. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. 
For I, the Lord, do not change, O children of Judah. Therefore, you are not consumed. So we see here that God's responding to their cry of injustice. And he's saying, wait. He's saying Jesus is coming. And in verse 1, we see there's three different people in view here. The first one's pretty easy. The end of the verse, it says, the Lord of hosts. That is God. Think God, God the Father. But then these other two are a little bit harder to distinguish. So we have to think just a second. Look, dig in here and, and look at this because it, it talks about my messenger. So we need to, to figure out who is this my messenger that will be sent that prepares the way before me. So if you would do me a favor, just flip over um, maybe just one, one page in your Bible to Malachi chapter 4. Verses 5 and 6 say this, speaking of this same messenger. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So we see this messenger that is to come. He is this Elijah or Elijah type figure who's going to come before the Lord, who's going to prepare the way. And if you've read any of the Gospels, perhaps all of them maybe, you know that this Elijah type figure is shown to us by Christ as John the Baptist. From Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, And I will turn, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So you see here this, this same language of this Elijah type figure who's going to prepare the way for the Lord that's turning the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. And then, uh, I don't even think I told Jacob to read this, but it was, I guess, just God's providence, right? Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. I won't read all of them again, but I would like to highlight verse 10 and 13 and 14. Listen to this. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So this messenger that we read about at the beginning of chapter 3 is this messenger who prepares the way for this one who is coming. This Elijah-type figure who we learn is John the Baptist. And this preparing the way before the Lord is he is to be proclaiming the gospel. He is to be preparing the people to receive their king. That's his role. Make way for the king. So then the next person we see in verse 1, also with a similar title, my messenger. But it says, my messenger of the covenant. So we have to think is... Is this the same messenger just being spoken about in a different way? Or is this a totally different person? Well, we see in verse 1 it says, The Lord will suddenly come to his 
temple. So the question is, who does the temple belong to? Is it this messenger that we first just heard about, which is John the Baptist? Well, that wouldn't make sense, right? The temple doesn't belong to John the Baptist. He was only for a short period of time. We know from the Old Testament, the temple was the Lord's temple, God's temple. And so this one who is coming, the temple is his. It belongs to him. So it's not some mere man's temple. It's God's temple. But then we also see it says, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord of hosts, God, says about this one who is coming that he is coming. So he's speaking of someone else. God the Father is speaking and saying, there is another coming. Who is that? It's Jesus, the Son of God himself. So God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, coming to his temple. He's coming to earth. And that's a promise. So that's, that's good news for you and I. It's a promise. He is coming. Not he might come or if you're really good, he'll come. Or let's hope that God's powerful enough and, and remembers in a few hundred years to send him. But he is coming. And we see in Matthew 25, these ten virgins who had their oil lamps waiting for their bridegroom to come, that they may accompany him to the wedding when the bride is going to his wife's house or to his, his uh, fiance's house to marry her. And they keep waiting. There's only five of them who are wise enough to come prepared. Only five of them brought this extra oil to keep their lamps burning with the delay of this bridegroom coming. So my question to you today is, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the coming of the Lord? Because just like in Malachi's day, they're waiting for this coming messenger of the covenant, this coming Messiah King. And in their waiting, they grow impatient. They look at their circumstances in life and they grumble and complain about the justice of God. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you repenting of sin day after day and not letting circumstances in life cause you to sin because you feel like you are treated unjustly? Because the promise is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, but his coming may not be as comfortable as you think it might be. Would you read with me in verses 2 through 4? But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. So Jesus is coming. And the question then is, if he's coming, who can endure it? 
Who can stand when the Lord comes? Just get this picture of, will we be knocked to our knees when He comes? Will we bow a knee to King Jesus when He comes? Because He comes to purify. And He comes to purify like a refiner's fire. That is, He's coming to purify from within. He wants to create a perfect pure, holy people for himself. It doesn't say he comes as a forest fire. He doesn't come with complete, utter destruction. And if you're familiar with the forest fires that happen almost every year in California, it happens at, at, at like the end of, of October, September maybe, and it's because 91% of the rainfall in California is typically between um, November and April. So there's this five-month dry season where the forest is drying out almost like a, a kindling ready to be set ablaze. And when it catches fire, it destroys everything. Houses. Habitats. This is not the coming of our Lord. He comes as a refiner's fire. He comes to purify you, his people. Verse 3, it says, he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. It gives you this picture that he's like this metal worker or this artisan who's stoking the fire so that the, this metal will melt. And as it melts, these impurities rise to the top. And, and like he's just going to skim the top, taking away the impurities. And when he does, and as it heats the metal up even more, even more impurities come, and he cleans off the top again. And then once this metal, this silver or gold is, is pure, it's like looking at a mirror. God does that with his people. You know what the goal is? It's that he might look at these pure people just like the artisan looks at this pure gold and silver and sees his face. That God might look at his people and see his image in them because he's purifying them, making them like the image of his son. So who does this refiner's fire come to? The passage tells us that the Lord's coming, this messenger, Christ, will be coming to purify the sons of Levi, the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Right? This is God's covenant people. So God is coming and he keeps his covenant by purifying his people. And many times in the prophets, they, it's like they're seeing this, this future event that's happening almost like this. And if you're, if you're looking straight on, it almost looks like it's, it's one thing, right? My hands. If you're looking straight on from my hands, it looks like you, you really can't even see this second one. But if you look at it from the side, you see there's the first hand and there's the second. Christ has a first advent when he came, but yet he is still coming again. Christ is has come to purify his people. He gave his life on the cross. That you might have the blood of Christ that would make you righteous. That Christ's righteousness might be imputed, given to you. 
through faith. But there is also this second coming that is yet to happen where God seeks to make you more holy. And I would even say between these two advents, he is making his people more holy. And so this is a good thing. There's a goodness in this promise that he comes to his people as a refiner's fire. Right? God, that means God's committed to your holiness. Think about that. God's committed to your holiness. He wants his people to be holy, to be this reflection of him among the earth. And Philippians 1.6 is a great promise along these same lines. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. Do you know the last part of the verse? It tells us when. At the coming of Jesus Christ. There is a time where you, God's people, will be made completely holy. So this purifying, inward remo- removing of, of, of sin is not just the mere blemishes on the outside that you might look beautiful, but it's a removal of the dross, of the sin within, that through doing that, all impurity, all sin would be done away with in you. That's good news. Imagine, some of you struggle, probably even daily, with sin. Perhaps the same sin struggle you struggle with day after day. And you just wonder, God, would you please take this away? Would you please give me victory today over this? Be encouraged that God's refining work in you will do away with this one day. Lust. Greed the boastful pride of life, God will one day remove all impurity, all sin from you. I hope that encourages you to fight today. But some of you are like, yeah, that sounds good. But this refiner's fire, it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. What does that mean God's going to bring into my life to refine me? Could be the loss of a job. Could be loss of a spouse or a child. Could be anything. I don't know. God could even use injustice in your workplace to refine you. But the good news is he will do it. And yes, it's, it's no more impossible to become pure without pain than it is to be burned without pain. So know, as a child of God, there is difficulty and there is pain. But it's not, it's not, for, it's not without reason. God is coming and he will refine his people. He is refining his people even today that you might be holy without blemish. And check this out. God even delights in the end result. Look at verse 4 with me. Once this purifying work is done, it says, they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then further on in verse 4, it says, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. So think about this. With pain and suffering, with the refining work of God in your life, the end result is a pure and holy people. 
that God delights in. Just in our earthly realm, there is nothing greater, I think, as a son that I could hear from my father than to say, I am well pleased in you. Imagine that. Some of you, your fathers might not even be alive still. But to hear from your father, son, I am pleased with you. Wouldn't that be like a, a salve to the wounds or the hurting that you felt going through that refining fire? Wouldn't God's pleasure with you be able to bring joy in the midst of hurt that you might feel because of this refining fire in your life? It does for me, and I think it does for all of us, if we truly understand God as Father. So Jesus comes to purify. That's the first group. But Jesus also is coming, and there's a second group that gets addressed here as well. The second group is that Jesus comes to judge. So let's read in verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his, in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So we see first here that Jesus is coming as a judge and a swift witness. We may count it as slowness, but there will be no hesitation in judgment when Jesus comes again. But also notice in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, whenever someone brings a charge against someone else, it calls for a witness of two or three. Here it says there will be a witness, not witnesses. Jesus Christ has, an, has a completely reliable witness. There's nothing wrong with the way he sees reality and sees us, sees people. So his witness is sure and reliable, and it will be swift. So the question is, all right, well, we've, we've seen that Jesus comes to purify, and now we see he's coming to judge. So who is it that receives this judgment? Well, we get a list. The sorcerers, adulterers, liars, those who oppress, and those who don't care for the needy. And then there's this summary at the end of that. And the summary is that he comes to judge those who don't fear the Lord. So those who don't fear God, those who don't bow a knee to King Jesus, are those who will be judged. This includes the brash atheists. This includes calloused, unrepentant sinners. And it includes everyone else that says, nah, he's not for me, but I'm glad he's good for you. It includes everyone who does not come to Christ in faith. That could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker could be someone in here perhaps if you have not bowed a knee to king jesus i want you to hear based on the authority of malachi right here you will be judged you will be judged but there's good news too 
I think the good news comes in the form of a question. How can I avoid this judgment? Because if you think about it, both of these groups, right? Those who Jesus comes to purify and those who Jesus comes to judge. It doesn't say one of these is already pure and perfect. Both groups of people that Jesus comes for are impure, are stained, are sinful. So how can I be with this one group that is refined instead of this other group that's judged? What's the difference? I think it's in that summary, that last part, where it says, those who don't fear me. If you will fear God, if you will bow a knee to Christ, he will purify you. You will avoid this judgment. Perhaps some of you think that your religious rituals or practices, perhaps coming on a Sunday is just what you do because it's already on the schedule and my kids don't have events on a Sunday morning. Hear that, I want you to hear that those things, religious ritual, does do, it does nothing for you. If, if we had looked earlier in this same book, There's condemnation brought on the people of God because they're lazy in their worship. They offer him half-hearted sacrifices. They, with their lives, are disobeying him and unfaithful to him in their marriages. So just showing up on a Sunday does nothing for you. You must bow a knee to King Jesus. You must see that every single one of us is separated from God, deserving his judgment because of our rebellion, because of our sin. And that is why Christ comes. That's why he gave his life on the cross for you and I, that you might be made righteous through his blood, through Christ. That is the great hope. That is the only way you can avoid Christ as judge. But then look with me, the last verse we're going to cover tonight, or today. Verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Um, Theologians, really smart people, will talk about this and expect you to know what they're talking about. And they'll say, this this verse tells us that God is immutable, right? Well, if you're of my generation, you, you might get close to knowing what that is, right? The teenage mutant ninja turtles, right? They mutate, they change into something else. Well, the immutability of God is that he does not change. And that's good news. Listen to why. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This promise of God that Jesus Christ will come one day and he will either be a refiner or a judge. He says, you people of God, be encouraged. I don't change. And because I don't change, you are not consumed. I don't come upon you like a forest fire bringing destruction. I come to you as a refiner. I want to read for you Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. 
For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Parents, when you correct your children, when you discipline your children, Hopefully they know and you tell them, I do this because I love you. I don't want you going your own way, wandering away from the Lord. And so insofar as you are obeying your parents' children, you're learning to obey and submit to the Lord. That's exactly what God's reminding them here. This refining fire, that is me working out the impurity, working out the sin in your life so that you might be called a son of God. So when we, as God's people, experience this refining fire in life, let it remind you that's God's love, God's work in your life, refining you because you are his child. This takes place in many ways. As we, as the church, get to know one another, we spend time with one another, we can rebuke one another calling out sin in someone's life. That's God's refining fire in your life. It doesn't have to be just bad circumstances. The brother or sister in Christ can be God's refining work in your life. Receive it as that. The church gathering together, preaching God's word, warning, admonishing one another to obey him, to forsake sin. That's God's refining fire in your life. Receive it as that. So church, I want you to believe today Christ is coming. Hear it loud and clear. Malachi tells us, I'm telling you, Christ is coming today. Be quick to repent of sin and trust the refining work of God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you would use your word to change us. That this refining work of Christ that we would receive it as from you, that we wouldn't receive it and see our circumstances causing us to, to question your justice, that we would trust you based on who we know you are in your word, that we would receive your refining work in our lives, even though it does not always feel good like the discipline of a father. It is for our good. It is because you love us. It is because you have received us as your children. So we ask that you would do that good work in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.